Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we don't focus on all those new shiny, shiny things to buy. Instead, we focus on the value and the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics. And our monthly electronics repair events here in London called Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter. I'm co-founder of the Research Project, along with Ugo, who joins me. And we're joined by Dave Lukes, a longtime volunteer. Welcome, Hi. Dave. Yeah. And um, today, well, as it's May Day, we are going to talk about some labor problems in the electronic supply chain. And just to kick things off. Um, and later in the show, we're going to talk about another big thing that's happening in May, which is the um, uh, big developments on privacy and data protection coming from Europe. And you may have seen some of these in your email inbox. But to start, um, we're going to talk about not Apple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're talking about Samsung today um, because there is an international day of action against Samsung to clean up Samsung. And you may ask, well, what's this all about? Because I've only heard about the problems in Apple's supplier called Foxconn. Um, but this is actually one of the stories that's gotten so little attention over the years. Um, and it's time that we paid it much more attention. So I'll just read from the from the coalition from the group's press release which was sent around um just to give you an idea um there are actions going on in solidarity with samsung factory workers everywhere including the delivery of petitions with other 200,000 signatures to calling on Samsung to protect the hundreds of thousands of electronics factory workers around the world. Demands for transparency come on the heels of a Samsung lawsuit against the South Korean government, which seeks to prevent the public disclosure of hazardous chemicals monitoring information. Um, so this is actually a really big and developing story. Um, it doesn't just involve Korea, um, because in March, um, three UN human rights experts uh, expressed concern about reports of threats against factory workers and civil society organizations who reported on unhealthy working conditions in Samsung Vietnam factories. And it turns out that uh, Samsung Vietnam is where all of the UK Samsung mobiles come from. Um, so in a sense, this is one of the biggest suppliers of hardware, and they've gotten off really easy, and they're still pushing, even in their home country, against workers' rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't forget also, Samsung don't just supply the things you see with their label on. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think iPhone screens are made by Samsung. Yeah. Just Often. as one obvious example. Um, also memory. memory. We're mem going to get yeah. on to that next. Yeah. yeah. So many things in the background that they make as an, you know, the SSD in your laptop is probably made by them as well. Right, so this isn't just the front end of the supply chain back to their stuff. It's all of the stuff you use, and not to mention all of the other products that they make in addition to oh, the, the gadgets. Yeah, the fridges, so, uh, yeah, all that stuff. So in a sense, it's a miracle that they managed to so far uh, get away with a lot of this. Well, the attention seemed to have been focused always on Apple, Apple, Apple because of yeah. its flashy image. Well, and also on China. Mm. And so these issues seem to be, I mean, we're a member of the Good Electronics Network, which is a network of activists who share information and ask questions about issues they're facing throughout the labor supply chain. And we get messages on, on that list from people in the Philippines, from people in other countries. And most of the focus has been on Chinese workers up until now. But 
But deeper into the supply chain, there are workers all across Southeast Asia. Um, there are also workers in like smelters um, for minerals mm -hmm. in other places. Um, but it's it's to me it's most shocking, I suppose, that we have, in a sense. Um, Whenever Apple's accused, they're often accused of, it's their suppliers who are accused, and they're accused of not being strong enough on their suppliers, and kind of, there's that accountability yeah. issue. Whereas here, we have Samsung, as a player, literally trying to sue and prevent information from being released. Um, and, and, and what's crazy to me is that it's happening in Samsung's home country. Yeah, what's the reason for suppressing the information? Um, they, well, they, they basically, I, I don't actually even know why they're saying, they're, they're basically saying it's trade secrets. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's a Sorry. classic kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's used actually even he, um, to deny freedom yeah. of information requests in the of UK course, yeah. and other countries. They say it will somehow, um, <clears throat> you know, compromise, um, yeah, trading interests. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're basically trying to lock down, this is what's incredible, you know, the information that workers need to understand the occupational hazards in the yeah. places they're working. Um, so in other cases, it's like we, we, we heard of a case from the Philippines where workers asked, you know, we'd like somebody to explain this information that was given to us. Or could we have more information? But at least they I mean, this is a case of the company actually just trying to suppress um, yeah, all that information. Um, and there, there are historic cases. Um, so there's been an ongoing uh, campaign for those who have suffered occupational illnesses um, historically. Um, the same press release says at least 118 Samsung factory workers in South Korea have died due to occupational illnesses since 2007. Um, and, I mean, you know, basically, I'm sure that Samsung will come forward and contest all of this, but until yeah. they stop trying to suppress information, it, they're, not, they're hardly credible to come and try and um, contest yeah. this. And this is, by the way, not the first time that we hear mounting evidence of some of the problem uh, in their factories and you remember janet uh the use of chemicals that other companies had already banned from yeah. the actual uh, factory floor and how these cause cancers and other conditions and how yeah. something was extremely secretive so there there is a mountain set of evidence which should put that manufacturer to question uh, globally a lot more um, so there's a, a petition that's uh, circulating on change.org. Um, you can go and find it if you'd like to sign it. There's, I believe there's over 100,000 signatures on that change.org petition, which is good. But it's taken years of, of organizing. And also kudos to the people who are behind this campaign. They've doggedly been working on this for years without enough attention from the mainstream media. Um, one, yeah, mm -hmm. one more thing to point out, by the way. This is just what we know about. Exactly, yeah. You know, these are the people who've spoken out, who've... You know, who've ha found people sympathetic to them. How many other, how, what's the number so far of deaths confirmed? Um, well, well, not confirmed. Yeah, they, they're saying that um, 300 cases of cancer and serious illnesses, I'm not sure about the, and they're saying 118 uh, in South Korea. Um, Alone. Yeah. Yeah, so how many times more are there people who've had yeah. shortened lives? You know, it's not just a question of dying yeah, directly from the true. effects. Well, sure. The, the the question there becomes, okay, this is what we know, and this is about a company that has global visibility. Of course, mm -hmm. the, we've been saying all along that the whole ecosystem is the problem, and so it's not just about Apple and Samsung. It's about 
everyone else. Yeah. And yeah. imagine how long it takes for this evidence to mount uh, for Samsung. Imagine for companies that are not as visible. Well, and imagine people trying to organize, yeah, in smaller companies where you know if they get, yeah. you know, if they if if they're oppressed or if they're you know persecuted, we'll never hear about it. So yeah. it's a major issue. Um, another issue that we saw, you know, there's been a lot of noise in recent days in the UK about a, a, a it looks like a merger that will go ahead in the food or grocery industry, which is the Sainsbury's and Asda. And, you know, together, Sainsbury's and Asda, I believe they'll have some kind of like, is it a, around a third market share? Yeah. Okay. Well, another story came up, which we didn't hear so much about, which is allegations of price fixing and collusion among chip manufacturers and mm -hmm. guess another guess which one <laughs> guess which company is also on that list um, maybe samsung yeah there you go and um each of these companies has a massive market share the the, the three companies listed samsung uh, is it hynix and micron yeah. Yeah. they allegedly have a, a t together a 96 percent market share mm -hmm. um and you know you uh, everyone has noted the price of memory uh, chips has gone up correct yeah, yeah. It's also almost fifty percent or more. Depending I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've had. So this suit was filed in uh, a northern district of California, um, and it claims that the scheme has resulted in illegally inflated prices for devices with this DRAM, um, and the it, it's the purchases. Um, <coughs> Between July 1st, 2016 and February 1st, 2018 could be included in this class action mm. lawsuit. So this is potentially massive lawsuit also. Mm -hmm. For any device having memory that was, you know, coming from that yeah. time, it's incredible. It could be anything that has a memory inside. Yeah. It's so basically tablets, mobiles, laptops, just about just in about. the United States. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't we don't, don't have the same excited. kind of system here, <laughs> but it could have massive implications. And it's just interesting yeah. to me anyway, how little uh, we only saw this mentioned in the tech press just in passing. I didn't see yeah. any other coverage of this case. Um, well, also, it's not British news. And if you don't really understand your jargon, what's a DRAM chip? Yeah. You know, whole, you know, what Let's say the memory of your gadget. Dynamic random access memory if you want to geek out on it. And <laughs> Sorry. But that's what's used as the basic memory chips in all of your devices, your laptops and so on. So, yes, anything that has that in there will have been affected by Yeah, it. there's currently one in your pocket right now, Dave. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and moving on to things that um, potentially have sounded geeky and obscure but have huge implications for all of us and some of them more positive than they may seem we're going to talk about the um general directive on uh, general data protection, data protection regulation. regulation oh my god so even got it wrong as gdpr yeah i only knew it as its horrible acronym so and many of us know it as those emails in our inbox <laughs> that are asking us to please stay in touch or update our preferences. Um, we don't Dave, want to lose you. <laughs> Dave, tell us. I've been actually working on this on, <clears throat> on our behalf as an organization. I'm embarrassed that I forgot about the data protection part yeah. of it. So, Dave, <laughs> please tell us more about GDPR. Like, what are the main principles and why is it? what is it doing? Okay, quick thumbnail sketch of what it is. Those of you who have ever worked with data in any form will know that there are these things like, in this country, the Data Protection Act, and there's the Information Commissioner's Officers, ICO, who are the people who regulate data, personal data in this country. And the EU, for a long while, has had a hodgepodge of different regulations. And a long time ago, five years or so, they decided they needed to 
regularize this, make it consistent, make it more powerful, and so on. And here it is. Now, to some people, it's a surprise because unless you're a data geek, of course, you don't really know about these things. But actually, it's a big step. It's really important. It regularizes access to all personal information that's stored in whatever form. By the way, this doesn't just apply to computer files, databases, and so on. It applies to paper as well. You know, any form of data that any third party has about you. So it's important in that sense. It's also important in the sense that actually, unlike some regulations, you may be pleasantly surprised to realize it's actually all focused from the point of view of the ordinary person, the data subject, if you like. So that, for instance, it, re it codifies and makes explicit how other people are allowed to use your data and what rights you have, how you can change the way they process your data, how you have to consent. All that stuff is made explicit. Also, it, it tells us what this personal data is, actually. Mm. And that's really important because these days, I'm sure many of you are aware, that given a few different pieces of disparate information, sometimes you can identify an individual from them. And the GDPR is very clear on the fact that personal data is anything which identifies you as an individual, anything. So it could, for instance, be a location. If you live in an obscure, you know, in the hills somewhere, and somebody says, "Here's a location," that might uniquely identify you. Yeah. So anything which identifies you, you know, your Strava runs, your all those kind of things, as well as the more obvious things like genotype, for instance, is now explicitly included. Your DNA, that is personally identifiable. So companies which take samples from you and then encode the DNA and sell them on, that's now illegal without your consent. Right. Thing. So that is one of the major kind of principles of GDPR um, is and, and what exactly like so when they talk about giving our consent. So a lot of what these emails that we're receiving are yeah. uh, are basically tightening down. So making sure that our consent is that we understand um, what we've given our email for. In other words, what the person is yeah. going to use it for and for how long. Um, but what else? What are the other aspects of consent that are quite important? today? Um it's it must be fully informed, uh, it must be explicit. So this doesn't allow any tick boxes that have an automatic tick in them, for instance. Yeah. Okay, you actually have to opt in to everything. Yeah, that's key, and I've seen that mm. these social networks are getting us to allegedly opt in, but it's actually still opt out. You know, some of these yeah. interfaces I've gone through on, on Instagram and Facebook, it's really difficult to opt out. The default is still opting in. I'm wondering, anyway, how yeah. good that is. Well, we'll come to the penalties mm -hmm. and so on, which is very interesting as well, by the way. And so you, and not just that you explicitly opt in, a record is kept of that opt in. Yeah. So in 10 years' time, you can turn around and say, I don't think I opted into that. Show me what I opted into. And they actually have to keep, whether it's a screenshot or an explicit, mm -hmm. you know, and say, oh, we, you opted into version three, which was valid at these times or whatever. They have to somehow explicitly record what you opted into, not just, oh, yeah, they opted into our data agreement. And it also has to be, as far as I understand, a specific or is the data yes. term granular? So you basically yes. have to, you, you have to be clear about what you're opting into. It yeah. can't just be kind of a blanket, you know, yeah. keep uh, in touch or whatever. This yeah. is also interesting because it's for some companies who don't want to, explicitly tell you who they're opting into so they just have a single tick box but then they have to have somewhere available publicly a list of all the people they share data with for instance yeah okay and one of the social media networks i'm sorry i can't remember which one has published a list of over 300 partners that they share your data with yeah. because they've had to 
because the choice was that or list all those 300 on the consent page right and say do you want to share your data with these 300 people they haven't done that they put a tick box but then they said you can find that stuff somewhere else um, and w one of the other key principles is um, being able to, I guess, well, I don't know what they call it, like decide when you want to delete or leave or opt out. So yeah, I yeah. guess deletion. Yes. Right. Yes. You're entitled to have your del data deleted within a reasonable time as well, which is kind of important because otherwise they can just say, oh, sorry, it'll take us 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and we've been talking about the General Data, data Protection, Protection Regulation. Regulation. Yes. <laughs> and um, you may be wondering, well, what, the, what, what does this have to do with the gadgets and the, the topic of this show? Um, because in the end, this is just a bunch of like you know screens and online nonsense, right? Well. Um, we're going to get there because actually the this GDPR potentially has really interesting and potentially positive implications mm -hmm. for connected devices or smart gadgets. Um, but before we get there, and we're going we're gonna to read some of the terms and conditions and <laughs> privacy policies of these smart gadgets, but there's a, there's a legendary one, Ugo, that we're going to start with, right? Which is... Yeah, the legendary one is the Amazon Kindle. So uh, it took an actor... Uh, that was asked by Choice, the Australian Consumer Rights Organization, to read the whole of the terms and conditions of the Kindle on a Kindle. It took him eight hours and 59 minutes <laughs> to read all 73,198 words uh, that are part of this. And we've seen a video, a wonderful video about this when we visited the Mozilla Glass Room exhibition done with Tactical Tech. It, it was impressive because if you start browsing it on the Kindle, I mean, it's <laughs> hundreds, certainly more than 190 pages, if I remember correctly. But basically, it's stuff that no one will ever read, apart from an actor paid by a <laughs> yeah. consumer rights organization to do a campaign yeah. around this. And it is an issue. And the reason this is relevant to the conversation is more and more of these devices you can't really use them until you enter your personal data that logs yep. you in into the service that's tied into it, unless you hack it with a different firmware, yeah. but that's for another <laughs> episode. Yeah, but the thing like literally is a brick until yeah. you until you quote unquote opt in, yeah. but you don't really have a choice because it's a brick if you don't opt in. Yeah. Yep. So um, similar uh, with Alexa, we went and looked at um, the Alexa terms and conditions. Um, I don't think we dug too deep into the privacy policy itself, um, but there's a lot about third-party services, third-party products, um, mm -hmm. changes, amendments, termination. As usual, it's a very one-way document. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and as Dave was saying, it, these um, ideally privacy policies should actually, um, or, or the policies that we opt into should should be from our perspective yeah. as the user. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know, it, perhaps perhaps this is going to undergo a change because the terms of use were last updated in December 2017, mm. Amazon. Um, the, 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 the other one we wanted to go into, which was very amusing, was, I don't know if everyone remembers a couple of years ago, there was a kind of a general flap about 
Samsung Smart TVs. Samsung again. Yeah, here we go, here we go. So Samsung Smart TVs were found to be listening to people. And this was kind of like an Orwellian dream, isn't it? Like the television in your walls listening to you. Yeah, one thing, by the way, one disclaimer here. Other brands of TV that listen to you are also available. Yeah, like like any 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 smart quote unquote smart TV that's voice activated potentially has a lot of these yeah. issues. Um, yeah. So we went and we we went into the um, the the pr- Samsung privacy policy, uh, and what we learned is that the privacy policy is different around the world, um, as you can imagine, and that you probably yeah comparing um, when you look at the um, the U.S. version. It basically says, I'm just resuming here. Yeah. We share your data with everyone. Yeah. <clears throat> as and when. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally what the, including law enforcement, including business partners, including, you know, what? Um, if you go into the, 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 the UK version, Ugo, do you yeah. have it in front so, of you? Yeah. If you just compare the two of them, it's quite striking. Clearly, they've already updated it in light of GDPR. And uh, so it starts by saying, we will not disclose your information to the third party for their own independent marketing or business purposes without your consent. Mm-hmm. So it's already a major departure. Then, however, let's not get too excited. However, we might disclose your information to the following entities. And there is quite a list. And this, again, is not really about Samsung. In a sense, it's to stress that at least uh, this regulation is coming into place and so it's mm. limiting to an extent the amount of information that is played with without you not even knowing. Yeah. So it's one of those cases where thankfully someone outside a state level uh, regulation is putting pressure and ultimately forcing uh, countries around the world to review, uh, companies around the world to review their policies for everything for now that involves users there are in Europe and hopefully this will have an effect uh, to people across the whole world. One point by the way GDPR also applies not just to EU businesses but to any business which does business with EU citizens in the EU. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. So it's more generally you think and there is a, an assumption some companies will just go for GDPR all, all the way through because it's easier. I mean, the, the interesting thing that um, I think it brings up is that uh, there's much more attention now to... So before, there was it was, this, like we said, this kind of one-way document, and it was this one moment that you opt in, and, and essentially it, that corresponded with a kind of throwaway culture, a throwaway yeah. attitude. Press this, after this, we don't care what you do with this thing, throw it away, whatever. GDPR forces these companies to think about the, the full life cycle yeah. of this data. And so with that, they actually are going to start to think about the life cycle of the devices. So, yeah. you know, the interesting thing we talked about was, okay, let's imagine that this Samsung smart TV gets hacked. Um, mm-hmm. Let's imagine that... It could be a Sony one. Okay, let's, let's just say... Okay, so your Sony smart TV gets hacked. There's a massive breach of data. Um, you know, there are implications, correct, Dave? Like, Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would happen? I mean, th- there are sanctions, in other words, for these data breaches. Yeah. There, mm-hmm. And also one of the nice things about GDPR is there are massive penalties. Yeah. Okay. I think it's something like mini- for an undisclosed breach, I can't remember the numbers, but it's in the millions. Yeah. And it's actually based on turnover as well. So if it's a large company, it's, uh, I think, maximum of 5% of turnover. Four, yeah. Is Percentage. Yeah. So this, so this is really interesting because what it what it says is that if you if you just cast out these smart devices into the wild, somebody mm. clicks a button, they consent, blah, 
and you just let them go out there and get hacked, turned into a botnet, yeah. destroy people's lives, whatever, there is a consequence to you. And yeah. so we hope, obviously, mm. well, it's this is a story that's still waiting mm. to be to unfold, but we hope that this will mean that manufacturers will pay more attention about uh, keeping the devices we use uh, secure for a longer period of time, mm. which ultimately is one of the reasons that people end up giving up on products uh, because they're no longer compatible with the kind of apps that they want to run on them yeah. and often they're not secure. So by way of enforcing better data regulation, possibly uh, an, an extra bonus is that products <coughs> will potentially be supported for a much longer period of time because companies cannot afford not to. All of a sudden yeah. it becomes crucial so that they don't get fined. Yeah, yeah, and I actually think that there's a potentially positive effect for even <coughs> the smaller businesses, the smaller hardware startups. You know, it's 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 actually a disgrace that these big companies have this attitude, that they would put out mm -hmm. this stuff and they just let it, you know, kind of rot and, you know, go bad as it were via software but for the small the small startup you know it, there's a huge cost to them to have to do this and i guess i, I guess what it, it's a tough one for them however it, in, in a sense it makes it easier for them to pitch to investors yeah. to get people behind them to say look this product simply costs this much more because we have to do it responsibly because there's this regulation it kind of gives them the backup that they need yeah. to do the right thing also yeah. and um, it's also a, a kind of argument that evidently wasn't really strong enough of keeping products in circulation for longer. But if it's achieved via a different perspective, all the better, because it will become something done by design. We don't have to think about it. It's it's non uh, it, it, it will be probably more mm -hmm. widespread that way. I yeah. mean, the one I guess I suppose like everything in our lives these days, the one big question mark is Brexit. So, yeah. so <clears throat> currently, we you know we will the UK will transpose and enforce this. Like in the ICO, as you mentioned, Dave has mm -hmm. a role in that in the UK. Um, but what about afterwards? Well, the interesting thing is they've already the ICO has already said GDPR will become law, and there will actually be some slightly stricter regulations possibly as well. But yeah, of course, there's a question of well, what will happen later. But it may be too late once the cat is out of the bag, and also you know it will be hard to go backwards on you know, to backpedal on that. And what about companies that do business with the EU? If you've yeah. got one European customer, you're subject to it. Yeah. So um, that kind of makes it a bit easier to keep it in, you know, to keep British companies in line. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Although it's funny, we were, we were laughing about this because, you know, every small organization, even one as small as ours, has to do this work to prepare mm. for this. Um, we got an email from residents. If you're listening, if you're on the residents email list, mm. and please respond yes to their question <laughs> of whether you, they, you'd like to stay in touch because they're, they don't send them any emails and they're really good. Um, but every yeah. small organization has had to do this, including ourselves. Um, and yeah, we know that we'll lose a lot of people that probably, however, weren't that interested beforehand. And so mm. it's like our list of supporters will shrink temporarily. But that means if you remember, you who are listening now, to press yes, stay in touch, that yeah. will be probably more loyal followers and people who actually want to engage. Yeah. Also, selfishly, from my point of view, it reminded me how many awful email lists I should get off of. Fair enough. Yeah, very useful. I, it, I have to say, though, from my perspective, just having looked at all of this and having kind of thought of the implications for us as a small organization, you know, spending quite a bit of time on it, 
every time I get a terrible message or opt-in screen from some product that, that doesn't seem compliant, it actually almost turned me into like an activist myself. Yeah. So I hope actually that what it does is even in relation to connected devices, that people read the terms and conditions, that they're more, that they, you know, that yeah. there's more scrutiny in this. Um, yeah. And that people hold these companies to account in um, preventing breaches, in supporting products for longer. Um, yeah. We've been listening to Restart Radio, and we'll share all the links about this online on our website, therestartproject.org. And we have a special event coming up next Wednesday the 9th in London, uh, Rosie the Restart uh, Skillshare on repair video screening. These events are for uh, women that are non or non-gender binary people. And you can find more information on our meetup, meetup.com uh, slash restarters dash London. And it's an event where we'll be screening uh, videos about uh, repair heroes, women repair heroes, and how they teach us how to repair all kinds of things. Um, we have more information about all of our activities and upcoming events on therestartproject.org or you can follow us at Restart Project on Twitter or Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. The music is by Optonoise and Cassini Sound. Till next week. <laughs>